0: Okay, we can probably get started. Um, Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second Merge Community Call. I'm Trent, I work with the Ethereum Foundation doing ecosystem work, uh, talking to stakeholders, running things like this. Um, Very glad to see all these new faces and some familiar ones. So welcome to the call. Um, Tim's gonna be doing most of the talking uh, and then I'll probably uh, tap in a couple other people, maybe Marius, if he wants to talk about um people helping with test nets uh or i'm I'm sure there'll be other people i asked to share something um but yeah let's get started i put the agenda in the chat and i'll add it again i don't know if new joiners can see it but um yeah we're just going to go through this and um if questions come up please just uh i think you can raise your hand in zoom and then i'll uh Unmute you. Actually, I think everybody should have the ability to unmute, which shouldn't be the case. But um, yeah, uh, Tim, is there anything you want to start with, or I'll just jump into the agenda?
1: Uh, no,
2: I, I can jump into the agenda. Yeah, go ahead. Cool. Um, There's a on here. Uh, Trent did a great job posting like some pre-call links, uh, so I I strongly recommend people kind of read those if they haven't uh, yet just because we tried to make it clear, you know, what's going to change uh, at the application layer, what's going to change running a node and whatnot uh, related to the merge. I'll, I'll go over them pretty quickly, but um, yeah. Uh, yeah those those are of- three
0: links under pre-call resources. Everyone should read them ideally ahead of this, but yeah. you know, now we're here. So add that to your list of tabs. And <laughs> Tim will give you a quick uh, overview right now.
2: Yeah, and I guess hopefully I can use this as a way to like highlight what's in it and then you you all can kind of dive deep into what, what happens to, to your specific project. Um, at a high level, you know, the merge shouldn't impact applications built on Ethereum too much, but there are some changes uh, you want to be aware of. Um, you know, first of all, Kind of obvious, but after the merge, there will be no more proof of work blocks. So uh, basically, the contents uh, that's currently kind of the core of a proof of work block, so all of the transactions and the metadata around, you know, the broadcast, the base fee, and, and whatnot, um, all of that will be part of the beacon chain blocks. Um, so that's kind of the first big change. Um, relatedly, all the fields in the proof of work blocks that uh, that basically relate to proof of work or to Uncle blocks or Omer blocks are going to be set to zero. Um, we're not going to remove those fields from the block header uh, just to not break any tooling or whatnot. But uh, basically, Omer's, the Omer's hash, uh, the Omer's list, the Omer's hash, difficulty, and the nonce are all going to be set to zero. Um, and the one thing that uh, is not being set to zero, but is actually changing in value, is uh, the mix hash value. Um, And the reason for this is a bit complex, so bear with me for a second, but um, at a high level, we have this opcode on Ethereum today called difficulty, which returns the difficulty of a block. It's a pseudo randomness uh, value that people can use and a lot of smart contracts use for different reasons. Um, It is not like perfect randomness, it's it's biasable by, by the miners, um, but obviously if we, if we went from setting that to like some pseudo random value to zero all the time, a bunch of applications would probably break. So what we're doing instead after the merge is we're selling this value to uh, the, Randall, uh, the Randall value. So basically uh, the Difficulty opcode, which is opcode 0x44, is not going to point to the difficulty slot anymore, um, but it's going to point to the mix hash slots. And we're just going to rename mix hash to random and also rename the opcode to random. Uh, So if if you're a smart contract kind of using difficulty for pseudo randomness, you know, nothing should break. Um, And uh, yes, you know, you shouldn't use this for actual randomness, but people do. yeah, so you know, we just wanna minimize the, the damage there. Um, and one thing that's neat about that too is uh, the size of the opcode will change. Uh, so basically, you know, if, if the value is greater than two to the 64, uh, you can kind of query that on the block and know that the merge has happened. Uh, so that's kind of a neat trick uh, that's exposed to an opcode. Um, yeah, so if you want to know in your contract where the merge has happened. Again, you know, this is a bit uh, more complicated. Hopefully, the article itself uh, explains it a bit better. Um, other, other kind of noteworthy change is the block time will change after the merge. Um, and we, we saw in the last community call that this would affect some contracts. So basically, right now, block, uh, blocks come in on average every 13 seconds. There's a lot of variance uh, on that because of proof of work. After proof of stake, they come in every 12 seconds exactly. Except in the cases when the validator who has to propose a block is offline, uh, so then you basically miss a block, can go all the way up to the next one. So this currently happens less than one percent of the time, uh, and in practice, it still kind of comes to uh, about once one second reduction in average block time. Um, and so the the use cases we've seen, um, the, the use cases we've seen for this is like stuff like staking uh, reward, con- or sorry, like um, liquidity mining reward contracts and whatnot that like try to, 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 to send out tokens every block or you know kind of make an allocation every block uh, those tokens were gonna be are gonna be kind of streaming out slightly quicker uh, assuming the contracts aren't upgradable last but not least um, last but not least uh, safe head so Right now, uh, under proof of work in JSON RPC, when you ask for the head of the chain, uh, you get basically the, or if you want to get the head of the chain, sorry, you can ask for this latest block, um, and it's it's expected that like this block can reorg under proof of work. Um, so, you know, like applications relying on that should kind of assume that there's, uh, there's you know, going to be a reorgs and, and in practice the way they do that is they use the concept of confirmations. So they'll kind of get a block and then wait, you know, six blocks or something, 30 blocks or something. And and once those blocks have passed, they'll assume that whichever kind of latest block which has had those confirmation is unlikely to be reorg. Under proof of stake, we can actually get some slightly better uh, guarantees. So we have this concept of a safe head, which uh, there's a full presentation linked here that explains the entire theory behind how the safe head is calculated. But at a high level, it's a block that we expect not to be reorged under um, normal network circumstances. So the circumstances under which it would be reorged is if there was like an attack on the network or a large network delay. so it gives you kind of slightly better assurances than basically the the head of the head of the chain. So we're going to be changing kind of the JSON RPC response for uh, the latest block to point to this safe head, um, which in in practice should come within like four seconds of this the start of a slot. So it, it's not going to delay things too much. Um, if you still want to use the absolute tip of the chain for some use cases, we've created this new. Uh, label called unsafe to make it clear. So this will return you the you know la- last seen block on the on the beacon chain, uh, regardless of of how many attestations and whatnot there is. Uh, so uh, you know you should expect this is is you know somewhat likely to reorg. And then finally, uh, because uh, with the the beacon chain, uh, we have the concept of finalization. Uh, we're also going to be able to return the last finalized block uh, under JSON-RPC, which can serve as a nice and stronger kind of substitute for confirmations. So if you're, say, like a crypto exchange or something that just, you know, usually has this logic where like you're waiting, you know, n confirmations, um, you can probably move to using like the finalized block. Uh, and, and basically the, the condition there would be like a major attack on the network where you'd have Two thirds of validators, you know, trying to finalize a competing chain, uh, and that would put a third or more of the stake uh, at risk of being slashed, which is over ten billion dollars today. day. Um, so, um, so yeah, that's you know, kind of a, a useful way to get kind of a high security guarantee from the network on a certain block. So, uh, oh, sorry, I lost the agenda now because I think I just clicked through it. Um, so I think it, I don't know, it's probably worth pausing there and it's, oh, and sorry, yeah, there's one more thing. Um, no, okay, yeah, it's probably worth pausing there and just discussing, I don't know, if people have questions or thoughts about like the application layer. And then, you know, there's a couple more things we can say about like more on the like running node side, um, what changes, um, but yeah, maybe let's just pause and see if people have like questions or concerns about the application layer before we move on to like the actual node architecture.
0: Yeah, anybody, Uh, if you want to talk, raise your hand and I can unmute you.
2: Okay. Oh, Micah, you have your hand up. Is that a question or?
3: Yes, I wanted to add a brief comment. If you are going to use the random opcode, make sure you understand the attack vectors against it. It is not a perfectly random thing so just don't don't think that just because we're giving you a random opcode and you can now you know write a dice game naively you, you really need to make sure you understand the caveats and the restrictions and the constraints
2: right
4: that's a good point uh um, also yeah. um uh also the uh, the, the the random opcode um, like if you if you right now call difficulty or uh, in solidity, then you will get the randomness. Problem is, at least for guess, if you call it in a view function, <clears throat> then it will still return uh, the difficulty. Uh, so it's uh, it's only implemented uh, correctly um, if you like if you like use it on chain. Uh, but uh, uh, calling a view function does not trigger a transaction. And so we don't uh, have the correct uh, uh, randomness there. Uh, it's just a bug in Geth right now. <clears throat> but we we uh, 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 should be, uh, uh, I should, uh, like, I'm going to fix it soon.
2: Thanks for sharing, Marius. Okay, so yeah, I'll take a couple of minutes then to talk about like how the architecture of things changes post-merge. Um, and yeah, there's a note here. I, I just wanna make sure I don't forget. Um, uh, you know what, we'll cover it uh, once, we, once we're in the post. I'll, I'll try to, I think it'll make more sense there. Um. So, sorry, but just stuff at of the beginning. Oh, no, this is actually the wrong thing. This should be the right one. Okay, so high level. Uh, at the merge, basically running an Ethereum client uh, changes. And so what a full Ethereum look like, looks like is the combination of a beacon node and execution engine. Uh, you'll often hear the beacon node being referred to as the consensus layer and the execution engine as the execution layer. And those are, are basically the equivalent of what's an ETH1 and an ETH2 node today. Um, And uh, so that means if if you are kind of running a node on the proof of work network today, you're going to have to add a beacon node in order to keep track of head after the merge. And similarly, if you are running a beacon node today and or a validator node, you're going to have to run alongside that an execution layer node uh, in order to validate blocks. One thing that's also worth highlighting is right now, a lot of stakers are able to depend on Infura because they only need to to basically look at the deposit contracts um, and and they can return return that data when they're validator on the beacon chain. Post-merge, this is not gonna be possible anymore because once you receive a block from the beacon chain, you actually want to execute the block, make sure that it's valid and and, import it uh, as part of your database. And even more importantly, if you are a validator and you need to propose a block, uh, you're going to have to have an execution engine in order to put together a block based on the transaction pool and then send that out to the network and get rewarded. Um, two interesting uh, notes there, I guess, is um, one, uh, obviously, you know, doing that as a validator means y- you kind of get the block reward. Um, but it also means that you get to decide where the transaction fees go. Which is really interesting. Um, The transaction fees on blocks will still be sent to column like legacy Ethereum addresses. So, not your validator's address, but any kind of address on Ethereum. Um, And what that means, you know, in, I guess, in in like beacon chain language, is they're kind of immediately withdrawable, right? Like, they're not locked alongside your validator uh, rewards. so you know that's kind of a nice, uh, nice property of the system, um, where if you validate or proposes a block, you get to keep the transaction fees. Um, also worth noting. Both the beacon and execution layers will maintain their peer-to-peer networks and their set of, of APIs. So uh, whether you're using JSON RPC on the on the execution layer or you're using the beacon APIs, uh, you know none of those change. Uh, module, you know what we just went in with the with the head stuff, um, but you can still query your node, run tracing and whatnot, or you can still kind of get your information about the consensus uh, level. And then both nodes will also maintain their peer-to-peer network where. Uh, you know, the beacon node will be connected to a set of beacon nodes and the execution engine will be connected to a set of, of execution engines. Um, the only thing that changes at the gossip level is the block gossip will happen at the beacon layer rather than the execution layer. Um, because basically uh, the blocks you know, are, are kind of sealed by the beacon node and, and then propagated on the network. Um, and transactions will still be gossiped though at the execution layer so that your nodes can kind of run it as it gets it. Finally, uh, obviously, we need a a way for those two layers to communicate, so there's an engine API that's been put together, uh, which is kind of always one-directional ping from the beacon node to the execution engine, Um, and there, uh, at a high level, the beacon node will provide information to the execution engine about uh, kind of what the latest valid head, the latest finalized blocks is, Um, and also ask it to create blocks and request blocks, you know, when it's uh, your turn to propose one. Uh, And sorry, one last thing, you ask it to validate blocks. So once you get a block from the network, you get it at the beacon level, you just send what we call an execution payload. So this is the contents which has all of the transactions or, you know, the eth1 block, send that down to the execution engine, run it in the EVM, and then the execution engine will return whether it's a valid or invalid block. Um, So very high level, this is how it works. Um, Again, we went over this picture, but you know, you're going to be in a spot where uh, all of the kind of consensus data is is the one of the beacon chain and it contains this execution layer payload, which contains the transactions, as well as some uh, some other data that's uh, in the current eth1 block header. Um, Here we kind of go into detail of like the different calls of the engine API. I re- this has been written like a month or so ago. I'd recommend looking at the spec. And obviously, anything in the spec takes precedence over this. But I still think the general architecture is, is, is the same. Um, and this uh, basically gives you an idea of how the merge actually happens. Um, so it's, it's, it's quite similar to the, the picture uh, we, we had above. But high level, you know, right now, we have blocks on the beacon chain, which don't have any anything except kind of this consensus metadata in it. We have these blocks on proof-of-work, uh, which obviously have some data about proof-of-work, and then have all of the transactions. And um, the merge is triggered by a total difficulty on the proof-of-work chain. So once we hit a certain total difficulty, which we call the terminal total difficulty, um, we basically say that the block after the one who's uh, or exceeded this terminal total difficulty will be proposed by a validator on the beacon chain rather than on proof of work so you can imagine this image you know you have these blocks in parallel then you have the next one the block the second proof of work block is the one which would have hit the terminal total difficulty and that means that afterwards uh the the next block is, is fully produced by the beacon chain um so you can see that you know there's no more proof of work uh, and then uh, all this kind of content, which has the transactions and whatnot, becomes part of the beacon chain blocks. And then uh, it's possible that uh, at this point there are several competing blocks that are like the last proof of work block. So uh, because you know they all hit, they all need to hit. This terminal total difficulty if they do their children cannot be valid blocks so we'll get you know possibly a set of competing blocks but the, the depth of that tree will be kind of depth of one and then the beacon chain will kind of uh choose which one is the canonical block and at some point we'll finalize one um so if you're running you know say like a, an exchange or again something that's like uh reliant on um on the Sorry, on confirmations and 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 making sure reorgs don't happen. Then you basically want to wait for the first finalized uh, block after the merge, you know. And at that point, reorgs are extremely unlikely again, except in the case of like a major attack on the network. Um, and and by then the merge is basically over. We're we're fully on the Beacon Chain. Um, we already covered this. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Again. We'll highlight, you know, outsourcing uh, your your uh, execution engine to Infura or another similar provider will not be possible after the merge. Um, so it, it won't be possible mainly because you just can't produce blocks if you do that. And over time, we'll also have a proof of custody that's added into the design, which uh, will penalize you if, if if you did decide to do it. So uh, this is really the right time to kind of get running on uh, on. Uh, basically, your own execution layer, and I think that's all I had. EIP four three nine nine. We we covered. Um, basically, this is just the one that uh, changes the difficulty to uh, the difficulty opcode random. Uh, there is a merge spec in the execution layer folder, uh, so we have a full spec now, which only has two IPs. But if there are any other EIPs that that come up or whatnot, they'll be added here. Uh, Just like any other kind of network upgrades, uh, there's a a spec. Um, And yeah, I guess I I can kind of end on this, like what we've been doing uh, the past month is trying to spin up Devnets every week uh, with kind of delayless specs and get the different uh, clients to communicate with each other. Uh, We're hoping that we spin up one more next week and then the second week of December, that we can spin up a more permanent one, which we leave up and running throughout the holidays and maybe early January, uh, so that folks who want to like uh, understand, you know, and play with this uh, have have something that's relatively stable to uh, to use. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the goal. Is expect in the next two weeks, just having kind of a Kintsugi network that's uh, up and running, and. Uh, Marius, who's on the call, has has put together a great guide about you know trying to get uh, nodes running on the network, and if you do want to help with testing uh, some type of things that that would be helpful uh, to try and test. And I guess just generally also if you run an application infrastructure tooling, you know telling us what's breaks uh, is, is is really helpful. feedback uh, the earlier, the better. I think one thing that's that's sort of kind of stating is um, you know, when we have these network upgrades, we obviously try to leave time for people to upgrade their nodes. Um, and, uh, you know, typically that's like one to two months. Uh, we understand that the merge is, is much more, uh, I guess, very different from regular network upgrades. And and I think one part where like the community can, can really help is by trying stuff early, we can hopefully like minimize the, the kind of delay between when all the code is done in clients and like when this goes live on mainnet. Uh, you know, I think it, in the world where like nobody tries anything uh, until we have like a final proper release, uh, it it might be you know several months uh, of people trying and figuring out what breaks and and, and getting comfortable with it. Uh, but hopefully, by having these devnets, we're able to accelerate that a little bit and um, yeah, move to prove a stake a bit quicker. Marius, is there anything you want to add there about the devnets?
0: or Perry, Uh, if he's on the call. Yeah, I think Perry is here as well. Yeah.
1: Hey, hey. Um, Yeah, so just to give you guys a bit of um, scope about the DevNet. So DevNet 2 is still meant to introduce testing slash running nodes to the wider community. And a lot of clients are still figuring out small bugs or differences. So don't expect it to be extremely stable. Um, like Tim mentioned, we'd have DevNet 3 that would come out next Tuesday and a public testnet that's coming out on the 13th and 14th. So if you're an infrastructure provider or if you're running any sort of Ethereum-based tooling, um, please do start testing now and figure out how uh, where all the tooling lies, etc. I have posted a link in the chat that's a compilation of all the tools we have right now. So there's a Beacon Explorer, um, regular... Um, Block scout, so you can check transactions. There's a faucet, so we draw some ETH, to deploy smart contracts, um, also, other nice stuff. And there's also an RPC if you don't want to sync your own node, but we do recommend that you sync your own node just to get to know how things work. Um, yeah, please let us know if something breaks. And yeah, I'd let um, Mario stop for the testing talk. I guess that's a good transition to that.
4: Yeah, so. Um, I would, I would, uh, 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 like to encourage all of you to start testing, <clears throat> start testing early. Uh, we created, uh, some documents, um, about how to set up some of the clients, um, not all of them are there. So if you, if you're really interested in like running a particular client combination or something, do that, test it and put it in the document and um if you have any questions about testing then just dm me uh either on discord or on 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 twitter you'll probably find me because of my really unique last name and um yeah uh happy like we we already have uh, i already have uh, like dms from over 400 people right now that are interested in doing it and uh, we we also, uh, also set up a a page of ideas. Um, <clears throat> what uh, people could work on if they wanted to and. Um, if you have other ideas that we should uh, really test before before the merge, uh, then you could uh, just add them to this document that's it.
0: Thank you Perry and Marius not just for talking about your work, but actually doing it. That's uh, the important part. Uh, Let's see if there's anything else left on the agenda. I think we've covered everything so we can open it up to anybody else who has questions. Um, We've still got quite a bit of time. So if you're shy or unsure of how to phrase your question, don't be, uh, yeah, go ahead, Omar.
5: Hey. uh Quick question on the diagram of the execution layer and the consensus layer. Uh, there seems to be a one-to-one relationship uh, between the engine API. Is that something that's true or just kind of a limitation of the diagram? Can you run one beacon node and have multiple execution layers talk to that beacon node?
0: Yes, I believe that is the case. Uh, Tim, do you want to pull that diagram back up if you can? Or I can try to do that.
4: Um, yeah. So. Uh, you, you can do that you can not run multiple beacon nodes with the same execution layer that's that's n- n- not working with the, with the current oh user. sorry did
0: i did i mishear it i thought okay. he asked about validator clients
4: right, but yeah you can you can run one beacon node with multiple execution layers and take the majority vote of them for example so peter has been working uh in his free time, on a client that does exactly this, takes take the majority vote of like three or four different uh, consensus layer uh, execution layer clients for for one consensus layer client.
0: Is that um, the minority
4: client? Quote unquote? Yes. Yes, it's called okay. minority. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Did that answer your question? Right, but-, but oh, Tim's back. Go ahead.
2: I was gonna say, I don't, I think Omar's question was about the validator clients, right? So it's like, could you run N validators on one execution engine? Is that right?
5: Uh, it was actually, can you run, uh, yeah, one beacon node and multiple uh, execution layer nodes uh, for that one beacon node.
6: Okay, yeah, that's yeah. not
4: possible. And you can you can always run multiple validators on one beacon node but I guess you know that.
5: It, yeah, it, um, just a few,
6: uh, a
5: bit of comment here. Yes, you can uh, like guide uh, multiple execution layer clients with one beacon node. So it's just, well, it's just a matter of propagating all the messages from this beacon node to wire engine API to all these execution layer clients as possible. Okay. Sweet, and awesome, thanks.
6: But the opposite
5: case, when you want to run like uh, one execution client uh, to serve for multiple beacon nodes, it's not uh, supported by the engine API spec and it will not be supported. But in theory, you can, um, like if you're, there is like one thing that can, Go into a conflict here is the update of the facture state for uh, that coming from multiple beacon nodes to one execution layer client, and in theory, if you're like not if you have like a kind of uh, master beacon node that just uh, sends these focus updated messages and the only one, uh, but others do not update the factures. In theory, it's possible to do this kind of setup, but yeah, it's more complicated and uh, there are implications. So this is why it's not uh, supported by default by the engine API spec, so that's it.
3: Which which means you'd have to run a custom client. So not off the shelf.
5: I see, so the execution engine both reads from the beacon node and writes to the beacon or communicates with the beacon node. So it's not just strictly reading from the beacon node. I stopped like writing to the beacon node, but uh, imagine uh, you have two heads, uh, uh, like two beacon nodes uh, think that uh, there are two different heads on the chain at some point in time. It's possible, like, because of the um, message, to, because of the network delay and other factors. So the execution layer client will, uh, like, uh, yeah, it, it, it will receive two conflicting functions updated from the two, two beacon nodes. And, It's difficult to decide what to do in this case. Uh, That's why this um, setup is not supported by default.
6: Uh, So just to add a comment, so we are never mind. We're actually thinking about the use case like that and Generally, we think it might be possible to, to add that kind of functionality. That one execution angel will um, be able to work with multiple beacon nodes. Uh, you need to have kind of like a separate block uh, pointer for uh, pointers for each of them. So you need to have like this many to one relationship. And um, so the thing that is not in the spec, you need to somehow differentiate uh, which messages come from which uh, beacon nodes. And so we might experiment with this at some point, but uh, we don't have capacity right now. So maybe closer to to release.
3: Another thing to keep in mind for anyone wanting to go down this path is that at some point in the future, it is likely that we will start requiring um, proof of data when producing blocks. I believe, and so um, just want to recommend caution. Like, don't sink a huge amount of engineering effort because there may be changes to protocols that critically break this um, that sort of setup where you have uh, lots of beacon clients talking to one execution client.
6: Yeah, it was like just for experimenting with it for now, um, but we'll see. Yeah,
3: yeah. I'm, I'm not worried, too worried about another mind, just for, for third parties who don't
6: know what they're getting themselves into.
0: <laughs> All right, I think we covered that. Thanks for the question, Omar. Anybody else with a question, otherwise, uh... Maybe we could talk about what Raul is talking about. Maybe a little tangential, but it's an interesting discussion. Yeah, go ahead, Noam. Hey, I um, wanted to circle back to the DevNet discussion. Two questions here. Um, one, during the last community call, you guys mentioned that difficulty bombs might go off on existing te- test nets like Robson. Uh, I think the timeline there was slated for around January. Is that still the case?
2: Possibly. We haven't made a call on that yet. Uh, I think it depends just on how far along the client implementations are. Um, But I think, yeah, ideally, we'd like to merge Robson before uh, before the difficulty bomb goes off on it. Is it true? Uh, I
0: believe the Geth team is going to propose a new testnet to replace
4: the proof-of-work testnets. Yes, Sepolia. It has already Sepolia, yeah. It has already been started, but um, uh, there were some issues with, uh, like, I don't know, setting up the servers, so uh, we haven't publicly announced it yet. But yes, we plan to create a new proof of work test net um, since all the uh, other proof of work test nets, uh, uh, Robson. Um, is pretty uh uh, big already and like not really suitable for testing so we would like to create another one
0: Gotcha. gotcha thanks and somewhat related to this um has there been any thought given there's kind of two use cases for test nets right now one is for like eth core devs to experiment on the protocol and then the other is for application developers to sandbox development applications has it been any given any thought to having like two distinct test nets for these two,
3: or like not two, but multiple test nets for these multiple use cases with redundancy picked in, obviously?
4: I think we will spin up test nets that are not open to the public.
0: Uh, that's what you guys primarily
6: use for development, if that makes sense. Yes. Anyone
0: else? Hendrik, go ahead.
6: Yeah, I have a question about where the the block data is stored after the merge. So is that still in the execution client data store?
5: That's a good question. So Mm -hmm. uh, the block data, you mean uh, the execution layer blocks, right? Yes. and uh, you mean the history or? Okay, so the execution layer blocks will be still stored on the execution layer client side and they will be accessible in the execution layer um, network. Um, and uh, there is like the question is uh, yeah, because the beacon blocks will contain the execution payload as well. Um, and uh, There will be kind of duplication between the layers in terms of data storage, but we are um, looking for um, the duplication techniques, like um, like uh, the uh, beacon blocks and the consistent layer clients store uh, the execution payload headers and fetch uh, blocks uh, on demand from the execution layer clients. This is one of potential solutions for the the duplication, but in terms of uh, like. Uh, accessibility of blocks and the execution layer client side from the network and why JS to see if it's uh, this is not broken and it stay stays unaffected
6: by the merge yeah. so so in the short term uh, there will be some duplication and eventually it will be optimized to to have uh, less storage yes yeah thank you
4: Anyone else? Yeah, sure. Hi. Um, my question is: um, is there any change in uh, if it makes sense to have consensus and execution layer on the same machine, um, performance-wise or bandwidth-wise, or any recommendation here?
0: Do you mean existing as the same, uh, like monolithic piece of software, or on the
4: same piece of hardware? I mean.
0: Oh, uh, I feel like. That should be the default. I feel like most people already
3: do that. I don't believe it's necessary. I, you don't need to have a like crazy high bandwidth connection between the execution and client. You do want it to be low bandwidth. like you don't want it to like go to the moon and back um, because there is a, a time constraints on validators doing work and some of that work requires talking to the execution client. Um, but if you have like, you know, Two hosts in the same data center—that's not a problem. If you have two hosts on the same side of the country, that's probably not a problem. If you have one of your hosts is in Asia and one of your hosts is in the U.S. Maybe you start noticing you fail on occasion to do things in time.
6: Uh, Mikhail may have more thoughts on this. Yeah,
5: I think you described this. Is good. I, I don't think I, I'm like um I think the question is about uh how many what's wh- what will be requirements for running a client after the merge, right? Uh, with respect to hardware bandwidth, and supports, so how many consists clients does require? Right, in addition to
3: uh, I think- actually, yeah, so do you need specific, like what are the requirements for the connection between the execution client and the client? Do they need to be like, you know, sub one millisecond latency, or is, you know, 100 millisecond latency fine between the two?
5: I see, of course, the, the lower the better, but I think that probably under 100 milliseconds is okay. But it depends, of course, on a lot of things. But
0: thank you. Anybody else?
4: Uh, We should try this, by the way. Sorry. We should test that. Agree.
5: Yeah, right. That's that's true. I, I'm I'm also just you know trying to understand whether it makes even even makes sense to run them on different machines. I'm Not sure it is. So if you if you run in both, so the the, the optimal solution would be to run them on on one machine, or or like Micah had said, in like the same
6: data data center.
0: Okay. It sounds like we've covered most everything. Um, I guess just generally to wrap up, we got pretty into the technical weeds, but if you're a smart contract developer, uh, we're trying to make it as simple as possible. Uh, Basically, you shouldn't have to do anything. There's no migration. You don't have to redeploy your contracts. Um, If you're a user listening to the call or watching this afterwards, uh, you won't have to you know, move any tokens that you own, all of this stuff will happen in the background. You shouldn't even notice uh, that the merge has happened other than people saying, yes, it's happened, hooray, uh, proof of work is gone, um, but there's no migration. Um, oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. Tim Tim points out that if you are a con- smart contract developer and you have a strong dependence on block time in your... Um, in the way you've set up your lending functions or how you calculate time for um, lending rates or something like that, um, then you may need to redeploy. But by default, if you're, you know, most users shouldn't have to worry about things, most users or developers.
3: If, if you are a developer who is in a situation uh, where your contract depends on block time, um, you should not just update it to be 12 seconds. You should remove the dependence on block time. Uh, (laughs) You should not assume that we will keep the block time at 12 seconds It may change to 10 seconds in the future. It may change to 20 seconds. It may change to five seconds. Like contracts should not assume block time is stable over time. Like you should just use the timestamp field on the block. If that's what you care about. If you care about time, use the timestamp.
2: Right, it's worth noting that post-merge those timestamps are also more reliable than they are on proof of work.
0: Right, so the recommendation is don't use block times, use timestamps. All right, I think we covered everything and there are no more questions. Uh, Last chance for anybody to jump in or ask a question. Otherwise, we'll wrap up. Okay. Uh, thanks to everybody who showed up, um, Marius, Mikael, Perry, Micah. This is really helpful to have people to answer questions. So I appreciate that. Um, And then we can go a little bit deeper technically to people who have questions about that stuff. Um, So yeah, we'll wrap up here. This will uh, be uploaded sometime today or before the weekend. And um, if anybody wants to um, listen to it again, it'll be uploaded to the Ethereum Cat Herders YouTube. Uh, That's it. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. Uh, Oh, yeah, and we will probably, depending on the need or how many questions come up, we'll probably host another one maybe in another month. Um, I don't anticipate there being huge changes or, you know, a ton of new information that we need to relay other than what's already been prepared um, in the agenda. But yeah, Tim, do you have any final thoughts?
2: Yeah, it probably makes sense to host one of these and sometime in January once like Kintsugi is out and probably once we have a better view of what's going to happen with Robston, um, Yeah, but definitely not before the holidays. And yeah, keep an eye on the blog.ethereum.org page. Uh, we're going to have a post there when the actual like, uh, I guess, final iteration of the Kintsugi devnets is up. Uh, I'll make sure to post something there.
3: Yeah, awesome. Hey, Tim, you you indicated that you were going to come back to the discussion point number two on the agenda, but you never did. Was that intentional?
2: Which one, the transaction fees?
3: Yeah, transaction fees going to validator.
2: I think, I thought, yeah, layer. I thought I mentioned it. I thought I mentioned it, but in case, in case, yeah, uh, I guess to reiterate it, if yeah. I did them. Yeah, yeah, so post-merge transaction fees go to, they don't go to a validator address. They keep going to like an Ethereum, uh, Call it like EVM address. Um, so that means if you run validators, you know you can capture those transaction fees basically as they come in. They're not going to be locked or anything. Uh, this is also true of, of obviously any MEV fees. So any fees uh, basically that are paid to the block producer, like that, I guess in uh, today would go to like the Coinbase address. Uh, get captured by validators post merge directly. No, uh, they're not locked or anything. Hopefully this is secure.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's pretty significant, especially if you've been validating since uh, Genesis, the Beacon Chain Genesis last year. Um, The unlock for funds hopefully will come in the upgrade after, sorry, unlock for staked ETH or, you know, being able to transfer it to the execution layer, use it in smart contracts, use it like you typically do, Uh, that will hopefully be in the upgrade after the merge. But until then, like Tim said, you will—if you're a validator—you'll be able to use, you know, priority fees that miners currently get that will be directed to validators uh, or a validator-controlled address uh, on the execution layer, as well as any MEV. And I know there's a, a lot of people working on um, how to integrate MEV into post-merge clients. Um, specifically, the Flashbots team is working on that stuff, and I'm sure they'll have more releases and and you know, as we get closer, there'll be a better picture of what that actually is gonna look like. Okay. I think we've squeezed all the questions out of people. It, as always, um, myself, Tim, anybody who answered questions on here is more than happy to answer further questions that come up uh, if you're not already in the ETHRND discord. That's where a lot of this discussion and testing planning takes place. So feel free. We'd, we'd love to have you join there and contribute or observe, learn alongside us. Um, anything else, Tim? Nope, not for me. All right, thanks everybody. Yeah, we'll have uh, another one in about a month, maybe at the beginning of January. Thanks everybody for joining and asking your questions. This is great. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye.